Hi, I'm reading Our Daily Bread for January, for January 5. Hi friends, and welcome to today's encouragement from Our Daily Bread. Our reading is titled, A Ripening Process. And it was written by Amy Boucher-Pie. Early in his 50-year ministry in Cambridge, England, Charles Simeon met a neighboring pastor, Henry Venn, and his daughters. After the visit, the daughters remarked how harsh and self-assertive the young man seemed. In response, Venn asked his daughters to pick a peach from the trees. When they wondered why their father would want the unripe fruit, he responded, Well, my dears, it is green now, and we must wait. But a little more sun and a few more showers and the peach will be ripe and sweet. So it is with Mr. Simeon. Over the years, Simeon did soften through God's transforming grace. One reason was his commitment to read the Bible and pray every day. A friend who stayed with him for a few months witnessed this practice and remarked, here was the secret of his great grace and spiritual strength. Simeon, in his daily time with God, followed the practice of the prophet Jeremiah, who faithfully listened for God's words. Jeremiah depended on them so much that he said in Jeremiah chapter 15, when your words came, I ate them. He mulled and chewed over God's words, which were his joy and his heart's delight. If we too resemble a sour green fruit, we can trust that God will help to soften us through his spirit as we get to know him through reading and obeying the scriptures. Today's Our Daily Bread devotional scripture reading is from Jeremiah chapter 15, verses 15 through 18. Lord, you understand. Remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. Let's pray. Dear God, when we think of Jeremiah, we can relate to him finding his strength in the words of scripture. Help us to be influenced by the wisdom of your word and not the words of those around us. Mold and shape us more and more in the image and character of Christ so that our lives would honor you and draw people to you. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. The Bible in a year, Genesis chapters 13 to 15 and Matthew chapter 5. Genesis chapter 13.
Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Genesis 14. At the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar, Arioch king of Elisar, Ketaloamar king of Elam, and Tidal king of Goyim, these kings went to war against Bera king of Sodom, Beersha king of Gomorrah, Shinab king of Admah, Shemaber king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the Dead Sea Valley. For twelve years they had been subject to Ketaloamar, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Ketaloamar and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephaites in Ashtoreth, Karnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Shaveh, Kiriathaim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En-Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazazan Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Ketaloamar, king of Elam, Tadal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, 
Some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot, and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol, and Anair, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Ketiloamah and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Anair, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, 
but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenazites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Genesis 16. Matthew chapter 5 Matthew Matthew 5 Now when Jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 6. That's all for now. Hi.
Hi, I'm back. I'll be reading some more from our our daily bread for January six. For January six. Welcome to today's encouragement from our daily bread. Today's reading titled "Depths of Love" was written by Elisa Morgan. Three-year-old Dylan McCoy had just learned to swim when he fell through a rotted plywood covering into a 40-foot-deep stone-walled well in his grandfather's backyard. Dylan managed to stay afloat in 10 feet of water until his father went down to rescue him. Firefighters brought ropes to raise the boy, but the father was so worried about his son. That he'd already climbed down the slippery rocks to make sure he was safe. Oh, the love of a parent! Oh, the lengths and depths we will go for our children. When the Apostle John writes to believers in the early church who were struggling to find footing for their faith as false teaching swirled about them, he extends these words like a life preserver. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Naming believers in Jesus as children of God was an intimate and legal labeling that brought validity to all who trust in Him. Oh, the lengths and depths God will go for His children! There are actions a parent will take only for their child, like Dylan's dad descending into a well to save his son, and. Like the ultimate act of our heavenly Father, who sent His only Son to gather us close to His heart and restore us to life with Him. Today's Our Daily Bread devotional scripture reading is from First John chapter three, verses one through six. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him, dear friends. Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact. Sin is lawlessness, but you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we thank you for reaching into the well of our need to rescue us. And to bring us back to you, we lift up those who still don't know you, and who are experiencing the emptiness of life without you. And we pray that their hearts would turn toward you, that they may be also saved. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.
Okay. Inside and one John chapter three verse two John reminds his dear friends of the return of Jesus. With the phrase when Christ appears the promise of Jesus physical return physical return physical return is is a is a is a constant theme in the in the New Testament and was shared by the Savior himself Matthew chapter sixteen verse twenty seven Mark chapter eight verse thirty eight Luke chapter nine verse twenty six verse twenty six John chapter fourteen verses one two and three then echoed by the angels following his ascension Acts chapter one verse eleven this return is integral due to, to our hope in Christ which carries us through the difficulties of life. And one John, however, the apostles focus isn't on isn't on endurance in times of trial. Rather he he, he points us to the to the to the appearing uh, of Jesus as the as the ultimate accumulation of God's plan for his for for, for his children for for his children to be to be to be made to be made fully like him. Notice the pattern of of, of John's hopeful words. Christ shall appear. We shall we shall see him and we will be be, be finally and completely com- conform to, to to him when Jesus returns. God's transforming work in us will be complete. Will be complete. The the love of God. The love of God. What happened? Genesis, the Bible in a year, Genesis chapter 16 and 17 and Matthew chapter 5. Genesis, Genesis. Genesis chapter 16 and 17 Genesis chapter 16 and 17 Genesis 16 now Sarai Abram's wife had borne him no children but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar so she said to Abram the Lord has kept me from having children go sleep with my slave perhaps I can build a family through her 
Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there, between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male 
who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael, and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them, as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that very day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Genesis 18. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, 
and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I tell you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 6. Jacob and Jesus series. Series Jacob and Jer and Jesus. This series of fifteen of fifteen conversations revisits the story of a world class liar and deceiver. The intent is to is to is to find insight and perspective as we as we explore together what Jacob, the father of the other original twelve tribes of Israel, contributes to the to the bigger story. Of Jesus and to us, even though he was a grandson of Abraham, Jacob turned out to be to be so 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 dishonest that he had that he had to to, to leave home to to avoid being killed by the older brother he betrayed. Yet his legacy is as is as wonderful as. It is. It is mysterious. God loved Jacob, and chose him to be a a a blessing to every to every family of the earth. What was what was God trying to tell us? Part one: Find out if Jacob is the answer to a centuries-old riddle. Riddle: A good mystery always leaves the reader. In suspense, right up until the final page. Let's introduce a new study, a new study on the life of Jacob, from the from the perspective of a who done it. Immerse yourself in the story. In the story. Today on Discover the Word, be part of the group as we launch into a new study that group member Mark Dehan will be leading. We're going to take a few weeks to explore some things about one of the Bible's foundational characters. His name is Jacob. And if you've ever studied with the Discover the Word group before, then you know that one of the key things Mart brings to the table is questions. He has a way of probing and asking the questions we all have, but don't often get the chance to ask. And that's going to serve us well in this study of Jacob. So pull your chair up to the table. Let's get into this new study of Jacob on Discover the Word. At the table with Mark Dehan, our other regular group members, Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder. I'm Brian Hedinga, and we're glad you're able to be part of this small group Bible study from RBC Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Because I'm pretty excited about this new series on Jacob. I think Mark and Elisa and Bill are going to cover some things that will affect how we think about and how we read the Bible as a whole. You know, some big picture things that always amaze me about how the Bible fits together. And we'll also, in the process, I think, discover some things about ourselves and about our own relationship with God that will make a difference. 
All right, so let's get started. Today, we just want to get an overview, summary perspective of where Jacob fits into the wider story the whole Bible is telling and identify one of the questions about fairness that will appear several times throughout this study. So, uh, Mark? As we begin our look at Jacob, the story of Jacob and, and Esau, really, I see some potential pitfalls coming, you know, some dangers of misunderstanding that we might fall into. And so what I'd like to do is just try to, first of all, take a big look at this story within Scripture. And I've been thinking of it in terms of a murder mystery and what would happen if we read not only this story in the Bible, but the Bible in general, sort of like a mystery. Uh, in some ways that's going to work, some ways it's not going to work. So let's just know what makes a good mystery, whether you're reading it or you're, you're watching it on TV or you got a movie in front of you. Right. I think a good mystery, part of what makes it good is it's unpredictable. You don't know where it's going. You don't know how it's going to get there. Usually for me, a good mystery, and I love mysteries, there are five or six possible solutions, mm -hmm. and you never know what the one is until you get to the very end, and it's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Mm -hmm. To me, that's what you makes like it You like the work. element of surprise. I do. I love the element mm -hmm. of surprise. Because mm -hmm. it kind of tricks you. Yeah. And I think that, like with any story, elements of central characters that are colorful mm -hmm. and interesting and relatable that I can see myself in or people I know in, and then some kind of conflict or, or crisis that drives the tension tight and uh, I'm uncomfortable, mm -hmm. and then a resolution. And, and probably the best is I'm most satisfied with a resolution for good I, I sometimes feel mm, depressed if it's a resolution that ends up everybody dies kind of thing and there's no hope I'm not as crazy about that so yeah. those are some of the elements I think those of. are good good character development real people mm -hmm. realistic we have to be able to relate to them and say that their actions seem real to life right and so usually a law has been broken something a wrong has been done mm -hmm. someone is suffering mm -hmm. now in a conventional mystery whether it's a book novel or a movie or a television drama what we're looking for is the offender right who did it right and that's what we're trying to figure out does that compare well with the bible i actually haven't thought about the bible a whole lot as a murder mystery yeah. <laughs> you know, i kind of think it goes the other direction of a love life-giving story but you're right there's murder throughout scripture and the death of us all and yeah. why we die mm -hmm. and what happens and whose fault it is, I see your point. And don't you think that one of the problems maybe with the way we read the Bible sometimes is the fact that we do know the ending. Mm -hmm. And because we do know the ending, it kind of inoculates us against some of the suspenseful elements that are woven into the scriptures. Yeah, what we're not given is how the ending and when it occurs. Right. Okay, mm -hmm. so in, in one respect, our reading of the Bible is not like trying to figure out who did it because we're kind of told that we're kind of not only the people yeah. and the choices they made and even the first murder by the first son of the first family i mean we know who did that we know why he came into this world dead spiritually mm -hmm. dead you're talking about cain and abel cain that and story. abel yes right and how do you mean he came into the world spiritually dead well, his parents lost something of their own relationship with god so when they Adam gave birth mm -hmm. yeah they gave birth to a child who didn't have what his mom and dad had in the beginning okay came in without that whole spiritual relationship so a broken created. couple yeah. births a broken child yeah in a sense Obviously, Cain was not the first human being, but he was the first human being born in sin, yeah. which starts a whole new track in the human experience. Yeah. So if we're not with the Bible looking for the offender, because we kind of see what's happening there, even in the, the murderous Satan behind the scenes, what we are looking for, though, is who's the hero? We know in one sense God has made a promise that, okay, you've made a mess here, he said to our first parents, and it's going to be a mess. It's going to be hard for you. 
but I'm going to do something. Then he spoke to the snake, to the serpent, and he talked about a promise, but it was a mysterious kind of a promise. And so from that day on, and as the drama of the Bible begins to unfold, there's always that question. Okay, now God said to the serpent that the son of the woman was going to defeat the serpent. This whole idea, the serpent would bruise the son of the woman's or descendant of the woman's heel. And this is from Genesis 3, yes, the Genesis curse 3, as yes, we know it. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. and then, but then that descendant would, with his heel, crush the serpent's head. Mm -hmm. So there's a hero in view. There's a champion coming. I kind of get the sense as I read the scriptures that every generation is looking for the hero. When Cain killed his younger brother and then another brother was born, Seth, don't you kind of get a sense of the reading of that? that Eve kind of thought, I got, yeah. I got my hero. Sure. Probably every generation yeah. thought that every mother of every child wondered, I wonder, and you there, know, at the beginning. And not, if they weren't wondering, had they gotten it, they were certainly hoping they might. Right. right. There was an anticipation. Uh, there was the wondering, but there was also this anticipation, mm -hmm. you know, maybe this child, That's, maybe this child, maybe this child. That was the hope of the ages. Yeah. So the offense, the crime had been committed, the murderous offense. Humanity had been robbed of its life, of its innocence, its relationship with God. But God had made a promise that the seed of the woman, a descendant of the woman, was going to somehow resolve this, deal with it, answer it. So in a way, we're actually, as we read the Bible, especially going from Old Testament to New Testament, we're actually looking for the hero rather than the perpetrator. That's we're right. looking for the, the hope rather than the reason and the whodunit. Right, exactly. Mm. So as we move through the scriptures, we always have to keep that big picture, that big sense of drama, that anticipation in view or otherwise as we move along it's going to be kind of like dipping into a mystery let's say picking up a mystery novel and just flipping it open and beginning to read a paragraph or coming into a television drama three quarters of the way through or a quarter of the way through and say okay now what's happening here we could get so confused if we don't get the big picture for instance let's go right to the beginning of the story of, of jacob and esau and I wonder, Elisa, you have before you Genesis chapter 25. I wonder if you could just read verses 21 through 28. Happy to. And let's just get a sense. Let's dip into this story. Okay. Okay. And, and see what we're up against. Let's read right. it. Right. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so that his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him, and so the boys grew. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, I think that is full of intrigue. Whoa. But you say, what in the world is going on here? I mean, if somebody just dips into the text and starts reading this, what in the world is Harry going Red on Harry Redchild and yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. a little strange. Exactly. You have, even before they're born, you have this declaration that when they show up, they are going to represent sibling rivalry on steroids. Yes. I mean, this is going to be huge mm -hmm. conflict between these two. They are so different, and, and Jacob 
Well, that's mother's boy. And, yeah. And Esau. Daddy loves Esau. Mm. He's a hunter. So there's kind of a selfish motive right. behind the love. Right. But the big picture <laughs> behind all of this is this sense of God has promised a hero, a champion. By this time, he's actually selected a family. And these are descendants of Abraham. In fact, Isaac, mentioned as you know, was son of Abraham. And then Jacob and Esau become sons of Isaac. And there's this whole idea behind the text of the descendants, the sons of Eve coming into the world. And there's this anticipation. God has promised. And out of this, if we jump way to the New Testament, what we find is we're in the same story. Mm. If you go hundreds of years later, you find the Apostle Paul writing in the New Testament in his letter to the Romans about these two boys, Jacob and Esau. And he makes this horrendous statement. He says, you know, God loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. And again, you say, what in the world's going on here? Now, at this point in the story, if we look at the Bible as being a mystery, there's one sense in which there has been resolution. The champion has come. The hero has been born. Everything up to the birth of Mary's baby, there was anticipation, there was wonder. But now the wonder is that God has actually himself stepped into our humanity. Mary's child has become the savior. He's the one who crushed the head of the serpent. Now, as we read the Bible, that's all clear. But there's still this talk about Jacob and Esau. The story is still playing out. So I look at the Bible sort of as a double mystery. In one sense, as you look forward in the Old Testament, you're anticipating who's the hero gonna be? Who's the champion? Who's gonna take on the snake? But even after the champion has come, even after Jesus has died in our behalf and risen from the dead, there still are further mysterious elements that are gonna have to be sorted out. And that's why Paul went on in his letter to the Romans in that same section. He talked about the mysterious ways of God, which in one sense have already been resolved. And in other ways, to this day, we don't know how it's going to turn out. That's the big story. So as we wade into the story of Jacob and Esau, let's try to keep in view that we're gonna run into some real fairness issues, some things that seem so wrong. But in the end, God knows how he's gonna resolve what still remains to us, a mystery. And there you have the beginning of the study we'll be pursuing over the next couple of weeks. Jacob and Esau and seeing how their stories are part of the big story of the Bible. You're listening to Discover the Word alongside Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. And I hope you will make it a point to come back to the table and be part of the group as we dive deeper into this study. You know, I think sometimes when we read about these Old Testament characters, we can feel so far removed from them and wonder what benefit could there be to spending time studying them. People like Jacob and Ruth and David are heroes of a Jewish faith that can be largely foreign to us. But, you know, as studies like the one we're doing right now reveal, as followers of Christ, we have a close and deeply rooted connection to them. Their stories are an important part of our stories. And the story of how God is at work in our world. Well, tomorrow, Bill and Elisa and Mart will explore further the idea of playing favorites. Doesn't it seem unfair that God would choose one person over another? Why would God pick Jacob and not Esau? We'll talk about it Tuesday here on Discover the Word. Discover the Word is provided by RBC Ministries. We are the publishers of the Our Daily Bread devotional. Okay, that's all for now.